This week on Here's What We Think, I'm sitting down with talent manager and creative Tim LaRue. Tim is a good friend of mine and my music manager. He also manages other well-known artists like Cousin Stiz, Michael Christmas, and many more. He's got a great perspective on life, what it means to be an entrepreneur, that I really wanted him to share with the listeners. A quick note before we get into the episode, for the first five minutes, Tim's mic was a little funky. That will clear up later into the episode, so don't worry too much about it. Here we go. Recorded live from Lamp City Studios in... God damn it. <laughs> I was going to say, I turned mine off. Recorded live from Lamp City Studios in New York City. I'm Ken Meekins in the studio here with my brother, Tim LaRue. And here's what we think. How's it going, Tim? It's going pretty good. I'm happy to be here. So we've been talking about getting together for a while on a podcast. Tim's one of my best friends and we've... You know, he's my manager and we work on a lot of different things together. And uh, when I told him that I had this idea to start doing podcasts, um, initially we were just like, damn, like we need to get together and just tell our whole story because we have such a history in so many different ways, you know. Uh, how are you doing? You chilling? I'm doing good, yeah. Everything's cool. Yeah, man. So I think, Tim, I really wanted to hear like from your side, like your story of how you got into the music industry and kind of... Um, the experiences that you went through and what you learned through these last, you know, I don't know, six or seven years that you've been working in the game. And I think it's going to be from a really unique perspective because we started working together right when you just started. Right. You know? Right. I've had the pleasure of seeing you grow as an entrepreneur in the music industry from when we first started working together to now, yeah, like, I mean, you've had, where you've we're seen, at. You've had the whole scope of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people have seen bits and pieces. Exactly. And so now it's like at this point where I'm, you know, you're someone I look up to in the game and it started out when we were younger in our early 20s, both just trying to figure that shit out, not knowing a lot. I didn't know anything. You knew a lot more than I did. So, for sure. So, so why did you feel connected to music? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you had like, a little bit of sports background and journalism background like what, what what drew you to music yeah um i mean this was like early college first couple of years and i grew up in a small town in connecticut and you know all i did was play sports that was my entire life and obviously i was a fan of music um specifically hip-hop but had never been a part of any type of culture more so than just being a fan never been to a show never been to any hip-hop related event i mean i lived in a town that was 99 percent white and not a lot of shows around there either I've no been, yeah no, no shows um, is there even a venue anywhere close to you then? i mean hartford I, I can't even tell you that's that's the funny thing is when people ask where i'm from i just say boston because right. i have no and i'm talking about people in the music industry i have right. i have no history zero in right. connecticut and people even to this day will be like oh you know like what's a good venue there i'm like i have no clue i have no music history in, in connecticut right. at all. i was a, i was a fan i knew you know all the popular artists i was up on you know everybody relatively early but just a very casual fan and then early in college um the first show i went to i think i think i just naturally got exposed i think that was you know 2009 was the time that blogs started to be like pretty popping mm -hmm. and i just kind of found myself in that world just spending a lot of time on the internet um and i didn't get too deep into it but that's how i remember just i, I found Wiz khalifa's music earlier than most i yep. think um and it was just it was just that and, and that was the first time i the first show I went to, I, I you know I found Wiz's music relatively early, and I was on you know I was looking out for anybody coming to Boston because it's the first time I was living in a city or a or a place where I could see live music. Right. Um, so right. I was excited about that, and I was kind of waiting for the right show to go to, and then it was this perfect intersection of like, oh, here's this rapper I just discovered that's right. like not all my friends from back home know about. 
oh, and he's coming to the Middle East in three months. Let me get my tickets. And, and it was just kind of a, a little thrill, like, all right, cool. And I remember I hit up another friend from back home that was also school, going to school in Boston, and I asked him to go with me. And and that was that. And I went to that show, and, and it was, you know, to this day, I mean, there's always going to be something special about the first thing you went to, but it was it was such an incredible show. I mean, I can imagine I mean, having it was right, never it was right seen... Before, and it was right before Kush and OJ, so it was like, it's it was crazy. on the cusp of Wiz becoming the superstar he right, is. So right. I felt like it was that perfect, you know, timing where I was like right on the edge of this massive artist that was about to break. And I got this personal, just even as a fan, thrill from that, seeing someone that I found a little bit early. And that was my first show. And then to be able to tell people the story of how that was the first concert I ever went to. And, you know, I got to stay in front row at the Middle East at this like super pop in atmosphere that I had not been exposed to before. Right. And it wasn't like I had a bad or even or a good you know or you know mediocre or even a good experience it was incredible so i was like oh i gotta do this again so from that point forward you got I, hooked totally you got right hooked. away right, right away so i was like oh what's next and then it was you know like six months from that time when odd future started blowing up and that mm. was the next like big wave that i was right. on again right. a little bit earlier than most not maybe not than people in the music industry but certainly than people from back so you you started to just get attracted to the idea of discovering artists before they really started to pop. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the, you know, the background. And Why do you think that is? Just because you liked to be that guy who was yeah, the I person mean, I, who people would come to and say, yo, what are you listening to right now? You yeah, know what I'm saying? I mean, I like, to, I'm, I like to be knowledgeable. I like to be up on stuff. I mean, my background prior to that point, work or hobbies or interest was, again, like it was all sports. So, you know, I grew up being a, a sports stats fanatic you know i would as a kid i would read the sports page every single morning and then in high school like when the internet got to be a little bit bigger of a thing i was on espn.com all day every day and i wanted to know right who the you know the rookie of the year was going to be i want to know everything like it's kind of the same thing you can kind of make predictions in sports just like you make in yeah. music I, mean, like, I was watching college this ball person's and, gonna pop mm -hmm, off or like 100%. you know next season this person's gonna be great or you know or you same thing with music you say next year yeah uh, it's gonna be Lil Yachty's year or totally, whatever. Yeah. Know? So I think I think it was a, a mix of me always just wanted to be knowledgeable in general and you know, um yeah, just just kind of knowing what's next and being on the ball before anybody else. So that was kind of the, the start of it, I guess. For sure. And so you went from being a fan and a college student. Yeah. And then when did you have the idea like what was the next step? Was it getting into blogging? Yeah. So I was like, my background again was like, I was a, I was a writer. So I was, you know, in high school, I wrote for a sports newspaper and in college up to that point, so this is like a year into school, I was writing for the basketball team. So I was, I was calling games on the radio for the basketball team and I was their beat reporter. So I would follow the men's basketball team around everywhere um, and write game recaps and player profiles and interviews and all this stuff. Um, so, you know, my thing was writing and I, I just loved creative writing, poetry, everything. I was just a writer. You know, so when I started to get deeper into this music world, you know, I'm a fan that knows nothing of the industry. I had no desire to be in the music industry, nothing. But I loved the feeling of being a fan that's that's as close to it as you can be right, right. before it becomes something that everyone knows about. So I was like, well, my only entry point to that, the only thing that could bring me a little bit closer is my writing because I'm a, I'm a really good writer. You know, so if I can, you know, and, and again, like I saw that blogs were kind of popping at the time. So I was like, you know what, if I can be one of those guys that, you know, the thought isn't just in the back of my head, hey, Wiz is going to blow up. I can actually put that on paper. Maybe I can get a little bit closer to the action. Right. So that was the inspiration right. behind me creating my blog, which was, 
mid 2011 and then again that was after the whiz moment and then right after the odd future moment and when the odd future stuff happened and i went to their first show in boston and like i was really on it right when they blew up i was like okay you know now's the time to like write about this because i'm right. i'm starting to predict stuff right so what was this this was 2010 yeah so 2010 basically. was my first show and then you know top of 2011 that was the kind of like odd future era i was describing and then i actually started my blog in 2011 when i was home in connecticut for the summer got you so it was between my sophomore and junior years got you it was like 20 and you started it to write about odd future not just odd future i mean that was like the last bit of inspiration for me to be like you know i'm i like this world and i like being up on artists early and i love going to shows and i just like the culture i was getting closer to it. i was going to pop-up events i was going to mm -hmm. you know it wasn't just going to the show it was you know what i want to wait in line fucking you know six hours to meet tyler the creator like right. to me now it's it's silly to think and it's funny to think that i wanted to wait that long to meet an artist but it was just me being a young kid in the city being exposed to a world that i hadn't wanting to get as close to as i possibly can and i liked it so for people who don't know boston as a music scene right boston is a really unique place for music because there haven't been a ton of artists to come out and succeed in a, in a national way. There really hasn't been like, a, you know, maybe a handful. Yeah. There, there really is. There's maybe been a handful of artists who have who've come from Boston and succeeded. And there's, you know, when I started making music in Boston, like I was very involved in the whole Boston scene and I knew everybody there was to know. Yeah. And the thing you learn very quickly, it's a very small circle of people. There's not a ton going on. It's mostly revolved around this one venue called the middle east in mm -hmm. boston and you do kind of like these local shows and it's just the same old thing it's not it's not a big scene um and for somebody like you who moved to the city and started to like plug in with it um you know and you started to write a blog and like you started to build relationships with people who wanted to to be artists out there that was something that really was not happening in boston um because the dynamic in boston was just like if you want to be an artist, you talk to leads, you do a show at huh. the Middle East, you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. you do it like that. There, there was no like build a brand online. There wasn't like that stuff going on yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And I mean, even for me as an artist, like I was one of the earlier people to like care more about the internet than care about like being in Boston. I wanted to represent where I was from, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. But you also have to understand like the the bigger scope of things and the fact that there's all these people out there on the internet that want to hear your music. Right. Um, so I, to me, what I saw is as what you brought to the table in Boston. Like you came at it from a completely completely different perspective because you weren't completely from the city, you mm -hmm. know. So you didn't have those like those preconceived notions that like things had to be a certain way. You had to, you know, mm -hmm. work in this type of way and only do like live shows and you know, pay to get on shows and all this, all this different shit. Yeah, definitely. You kind of push the limits there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that was the thing. It's like, I think when you go into something blindly, there's like positives and negatives of that. But the positive was that there was no stigmas attached to anything, you know, any, anything I, I brought to the table, there was no, there was no knowledge of the scene. So it was like, you know what, any, any preconceived notion that someone else ha you know, had or might've had that oh, this you, isn't you can't work do this, or this, or this, or th no, this is the guy you got to go through, or no, this is the venue you got to play, or no, these are the people that are or aren't going to support you. I didn't know any of that, so you know, and, and I and I've dropped the idea that you know I I never come into anything I talk about now with like I knew what was going on prior to 2009 because I didn't, and I would never speak on that. Or 2010 or 2011, even it was 2011 where I fucking dove into the pool mm -hmm. and I said, all right, you know, let's let's try to do something to help 
this scene. And I think from, the scene needed that see. fresh perspective, that that person to come in and say, I don't care about what the rules are or were. It bothered me. I mean, like my, you know, my experience, my entry into it was meeting a couple of kids. Uh, Dino was one of them. Big D was another, now G.O.D. Um, these young rappers, 18, 19 years old, 20, around my age. And I was meeting them at, at these shows I was going to casually to get footage from my blog or write about, you know, some major performance that was coming through. And I would meet these kids, just me being out kind of networking, trying to get my blog name out there. I was like passing out stickers and business mm -hmm. cards. And I would meet these young rappers and it would be the same thing they said every time. It was like, oh, but nobody supports rap in Boston. Like, oh, you know, this is going to go nowhere. Oh, man, you got to pay leads to perform in these shows. You know, it's, it was this very negative uh, spin on everything. And, and me coming from completely outside i didn't understand that and i was just like to me i'm coming from a town that this doesn't even exist there's no opportunities mm -hmm. there's there's no culture there's no outlet for performances and to me it was so cool to even meet a rapper you know right. to me at right. growing up a rapper was a professional career mm -hmm. that you were either a normal kid or you were Nelly or Ja Rule or Tupac or, or you know, or, or 50 Cent. There was no in-between. So for me, coming into Boston and meeting in-between, like, an aspiring rapper was was really cool. And then when I heard, like, that, you know, these rappers basically telling me it's not going to work, no one wants us to win here, I was like, that doesn't make sense because to me, as an outsider, there are so many opportunities here. Just the fact that there's a venue that I'm meeting you in. So I think the scene needed that for people who are like my colleagues like like friends from boston who are artists right like all those people that, yeah. that we talk about who are now like musicians as their career careers yeah you know what i'm saying like the scene needed somebody to come in with that fresh perspective and say hey like this is great like you can do this yeah tweak some things totally. a little bit here and there yeah focus a little bit more about like and it you know, wasn't growing and it a wasn't, fan base but like yo you like you can do like this definitely. is amazing and it, it was, was well, a motivating thing that's what it is it wasn't you know people will look at it however they want but it wasn't uh, a coming down on anything that's happened in the past it was more like why don't you guys open your your perspectives a little brighter and, and look right. around a little bit and like don't take this for what you think it is but take it for what it's actually worth which right. is like you know, you don't have to listen to this, 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 or you don't have to do it this, this, or this way. You have to be smart and create your own lane within this city. Right. And that's it. Right. You started writing. You were just really involved in the music scene in Boston. And I imagine a lot of the writing you were doing was around that, right? And then just hip-hop in general, like, on the internet. Like, you were kind of in that blog world at yeah. the time. What, um, you know, when you were doing that, was there something in the back of your head saying, you know, I, I don't want to just write. I Very wanna, early on. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's when, did, when did you start to feel that? And then when did you start to take action on it? Yeah. You Very know? early on. I mean, look, I went to school. I entered BU College of Communication and I wrote my entrance letter to BU about wanting to be the next Bill Simmons. I wanted to be a sports journalist. I wanted to be, you know, but it, even when I wrote, that letter and when I applied to school and when I got into the school of journalism, I, I there was like a good percentage of me that was like already like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to write. Like I, it was just one of those things that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. I was good at it. I have a natural talent for writing. I always have since I was eight years old, hmm. even younger. I've always been a good writer. I've always, that's the classes that I excelled in. But at no point was I like, 
I'm going to be a writer. There was never right. a determination. It was more like, you know, this is going to help me get my foot in a lot of different doors. And to mm-hmm. this day, it has. It's built a lot of relationships. It's got me in school. You know, it's whatever. But so when it came to even writing about music, I had the same attitude, which was like, you know, I'm enjoying this because it's creating relationships and opportunities and moments. It wasn't because I got to see my name on a byline. Like that was fun, but I, I, it wasn't, you know, it was a means to an end for me. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't the end goal. Um, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the end goal was. So that's why I was like, you know, and, and this is like a lesson that I kind of taught myself through that, which is like, you don't necessarily always have to know what you're doing or what you're going to do with it or what it, where it is you're trying to go even. But like doing something is always better than doing nothing 100% of the time. Because I don't think at any point in the last five years, I knew where I would be in one or two or three or four years. But I was, well, yeah. I was doing something positive. I was contributing to something and I was, I was just working on myself. This is something that I talk about a lot with my mindfulness stuff. It's this idea of you want to err on the side of action as opposed to no action. Well, and that, and that all, you know, it all connects because that's even when talking about like the stuff I did within the Boston scene, you know, it was like, I could have been paralyzed with, oh yeah, well this won't work or this won't work or yeah, that's not the type of city for this or that. And it's like, well, I could have either then been like, you know, I could have strategized for three years about the perfect plan to, or I could have just gone head first, which I did. And I think, it paid yeah. off. It seems like you probably came at it with that perspective of, I don't know where this is going to go completely. I know it's going to go somewhere and it's going to lead to some opportunity. Yeah. My question is, there's somebody listening right now who in their own life may be trying to apply that, but it, it's not quite getting there. And so what, what do you think the difference was for you, you know, was it something you inherently just had? You had that confidence about your life or did you have to um, experience something and then find that, that <laughs> peace of mind to, to say like, it's going to work out. Yeah. You just got to, because you're one of my best friends, you know, I mean, people right. are be listening to the podcast. It might sound like an interview, but Tim's one of my best friends. And right. I know him very well. Right. And one thing I know about Tim is you do have an energy about you where you are incredibly um, focused on the work that you do. And you seem to, at least to me, really believe that it's going to lead somewhere positive. Yeah. And so far it has in your career. Totally. And it's going to continue to, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, have you always just thought like that in everything that you did? Like did, when you were a kid, I think did so, you man. feel like that I, with I sports? Think, you know I, what I'm saying? I like, think so. I mean, I think the older I get, the the more or i guess the less advice i have to give in a way i speak like in a lot of generalities and just general like life philosophies you know that people can that, that people can learn from but for the most part you know i don't know if everyone has it and i'm not saying i have it whatever it is but i've definitely always been very very determined to make whatever it is that i'm doing work in some way i've always had that um you know, and I think that attitude has really helped me because it, it, it's, it's just this like deep down faith that whatever it is that I'm working on or whatever it is that I'm doing is going to lead somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere positive, somewhere better. It, I don't know. You know, so it's like I, there wasn't an awakening. There wasn't like, you know, I don't know. I think I've always just had this like faith in myself that, you know what, I could completely flop or this could, this could be such a dead end. But even at this, right, bef- right before the dead end, right before I get to the end of the cul-de-sac, I'm going to meet someone that's going to change my life. Like I've right. always just had faith that like something, as long as, as long as you're being a productive, like good person, mm-hmm. something's going to pan out for you. Well, how many times, I mean, God, I could 
give you a ton of examples in my life where things have not been going well. Oh, yeah. But then you push through and right around the corner is that thing that you wanted mm -hmm. to achieve. Yeah. You know? It's happened a lot with me. And sure. you just can't stop. If you stop, you, when you don't also, get there. You also don't know what's coming. You know, I remember like one quick anecdote is like end of 2013. This is after I graduated. Fast forwarding a little bit, but you know, this is, I'm six months out of college and having worked with you, like you and I started working together in end of 2012. And this is like beginning of my senior year. So I got kind of gassed up quickly because it was this kind of year long lead up to that where I had zero involvement in music industry. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, that was September, 2011. That was when I started my blog. And then a year later, September, 2012, you essentially hire me into like your Atlantic situation. Mm -hmm. Um, just to help with like marketing and, and management to some degree. And, and that was my first like real responsibility in music beyond my own kind of self-created right. either events or, or writing or whatever it was, you know, and, and even just getting a couple of small checks was enough to make me believe, okay, I'm going to graduate in six months and there's going to be a job, a full-time job in the music industry waiting for me. I just thought that was, I thought that, I had wrote, you know, had a successful blog for a year or two. I had been working with you for six months. I'm talking about this is like May 2013. You know, I had had this this whole 12 for 12 mm -hmm. thing that I had created. Like I thought that there was enough that I had done for myself that someone would roll out the red carpet and say, "All right, you know, you're VP at Atlantic or whatever." You know, I just right. I, I felt a little bit entitled. I think looking back, when in reality, like I didn't know anything about the music industry. I hadn't really worked for anyone. Like you and I were doing what we were doing, but like. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about the industry. I learned a lot from you. Right. Um, you know, and, and then fast forward six months later, this is, you know, I'm, I'm out of school at this point. I have to move back home because I didn't get a job. Um, I didn't really chase too hard. I didn't really try to get a job in the music industry. I can't say I like tried too hard because again, I've, I've, for better or worse, I've, I think I've always had this attitude where it's like, if I don't earn something and someone doesn't come to me offering me or asking me something, I'm, I'm not going to like put myself out there too much. And, and that's something that, I still have to work on a little bit, but either way, you know, at the end of that year, I was just like, I was definitely feeling down because it went from this kind of very high of, of just being a senior and being, you know, the cool kid at school and working with you and getting all this cool experience and, and going into labels for the first time with you at Atlantic. And then uh, like Toonji brought me into Interscope just to meet with him. It was just these cool relationships and then nothing really panned out. And I was like, damn, you know, like, and, and I was working with you and then Christmas was just getting started, but mm -hmm. there was- Michael there wasn't, Christmas. Yeah, Michael Christmas, and there, but there wasn't, there certainly wasn't much money coming in and, and whatever was, you know, my cut was a lot less than that. So it was like, I, you know, I didn't have uh, the means of having my own spot or moving to the cities that I wanted to move to. So I was at this kind of frustrated point, but I was trying to make it work and I had faith in, in what we were doing and what Christmas was doing. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick it out. I'm not going to get a job in some random industry. Like, let me just suck it up. I'll, you know, live at home. Luckily I had a car. I was able to drive to Boston and New York and like mm. work and meet people. And I did a lot of networking, but I, I spent a lot of that time thinking like, why is stuff not happening fast for me? Um, but you know, within like eight months of that, and this was like kind of an unlikely person because Stiz, cousin Stiz, the other artist I manage, um, who's doing pretty well now, um, he was he didn't have a real rap name like he was he called himself stizzy and he hadn't released music and mm -hmm. out of everyone in boston that i was kind of associated with um or working with in any capacity he wasn't in the top five six seven 
eight people that I really believed would have a career in music. He just wasn't. He was he was a, a great friend and he was talented, but he hadn't really applied himself. And I think he mm-hmm. would tell you the same thing. Oh, I remember those days. We were all yeah. hanging out. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, but I I would always I was always in his ear, just encouraging him and encouraging him, and, you know, and trying to get him to take himself more seriously. And then one day, like very end of twenty thirteen, he emailed me a couple songs where I was like, okay, like you know, he really took my advice to heart and he made a couple of great songs without, you know, needing instant gratification from it or releasing them. He just kind of was, you know, listening to my advice. And then six months from that point, this is, you know, uh, summer 2014 in Boston, we, I kind of like helped launch his career. Ian does a video for Shout Out and we release Shout Out properly. And, and all of a sudden, like, Stiz is getting like serious interest and like a very fast growing right. fan base, at least on a small level. So it went from this point of like, you know, I had a high point six months later, it was like this, this real low point of like, how is this ever going to work out? And then this kind of like, you know, Stiz came from nowhere, but it was, it, I, I was sticking it out with him. You know, I was just working at that and trying to help him. And I had no idea that, that that would lead anywhere. And, and two and a half years later, you know, Stiz is a full-time job for me. And and that was trust in the process for 100%. you. 100%. And I think there's a couple lessons there. One, it's a good, it's a good lesson to... Yeah, it's twofold. It's a good lesson to learn to take your wins when you have them and spread them out over time because your life is not going to be just wins. Oh, no. You know? Definitely not. And even though you've had now a win in the sense that we started working together and we were doing some cool stuff back in 2013, you know, but then you kind of, you finished school and you didn't get the job that you wanted and you didn't really have an identity at the time. Totally. It turned around all of a sudden now you have this new artist who's popping off and, yeah, but the thing, yeah. And the the other thing was not to, not to cut you off because it's a great point, but I just, I'm kind of remembering as I'm talking about it during that kind of like low time period where I didn't get the job I wanted or, or the opportunities weren't really presenting themselves or, shit wasn't popping off like I hoped it would in my dreams. Right. You know what I, I did? I, I still hit the ground running and I, you know, I ended up getting a writing job with Pigeons, like, mm-hmm. you know, doing just freelance stuff for them. And through that, I built a lot of great relationships. So it was like, again, that was that faith where it was like, or maybe determination, whatever it is. I was like, I'm going to make this big picture thing work, like mm-hmm. essentially me being involved in music because mm-hmm. I was very passionate about music and my involvement with it. Right. So I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to put all my eggs in one basket that I don't know if it's going to you know, ever end up working. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still go out and use my skills. I may not want to be a writer full time, but let me make some money writing. Let mm-hmm. me make some good connections writing. Um, and a lot of those people that I connected with through writing, one of them, me and McConan, ended up being like, pretty helpful in Stiz's early career, like uh, essentially getting shout out to Drake. And, you know, right, like that's right. kind of how that happened. And if I hadn't continued to pursue my writing, that relationship would never have existed. Well, you know, you talk about these things so casually and for the, for the listeners, I just want to yeah. explain it because it's such an important lesson. Yeah. And what the lesson is, is, is that you, again, it comes back to this idea of having a, a basic foundation of how you want to operate within your life and trusting that process and good things are going to come to you. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're a young kid, you're trying to figure out what you're doing in your creative career or whatever, I think that's the point that is the most important to take away from a guy like Tim LaRue, who a lot of people want to work with because he has this special sauce about him and people can't necessarily explain it a lot because you're a mysterious guy. People don't know what it is you do with your artists that you manage. But as an artist that you manage, I feel comfortable saying like, 
it's it's all about a um a foundation of values and ways that you do your you handle your business and good things come from that yeah. because you are a trustworthy person you know what i'm saying and you make the right connections and so i just want to explain that example you were writing you did a great piece about McConan. Yep. he fucked with it you guys built a relationship when he had 500 followers on twitter yep you guys followed each other. I followed McConan at the time. We all started to listen to his music. Everyone, you put me on to McConan, you know. All of a sudden, McConan's blowing up, right? Because he's a great artist. Yep. And you never know. This is why it's important to, you know, never burn bridges and keep good relationships, be a good person because people start to succeed. And if you're a good person and you're doing something for people, um, you know, they're going to return the favor. And so... You guys had that good relationship. Stiz had a great song. McConan knew of the song because he knew of all the stuff that you were doing. Yeah. Somehow through that, you know, McConan ended up working with Drake because of the Tuesday song. Yeah. Drake hears a cousin Stiz song. All of a sudden, it's Drake's 28th birthday party <laughs> in Times Square in New York City and David Buster's. Busters yep. And at midnight, shout out by cousin Stiz is playing. Yeah. And that's, that's not because, you know... I mean, people probably email you all the time. Like, hey, Tim, you know, manage me, man. Like, I just want to make it happen. Like, you uh-huh. know, you have these connections. Like, can you get my song to Well, that's, to that's what it can is. Can you get my song people, to Oliver? A lot of people, a lot of people that, see that. And, that's and, not how it happened. Well, it they, happened because that, that's you're, what it just is. In the, you're just in the game being you. Well, I think, you know, the other thing that, that kind of bothers me sometimes is a lot of people like to make it cheaper or more strategic than it is. And I'm very upfront with, you know, you and I have had these talks. I've had these talks with Stiz, Christmas. You know, any prospective artist I'm thinking about working with in any capacity, I always tell them, look, my general philosophy is things happen naturally. I know when there's right. I know when when there's a right time to put my foot on the gas or take advantage of a relationship or send music to someone. But if you're going to work with me, you have to have faith that I might not send your music to anyone for a year and a half. It might not be the right time. Right. And I think some people might look at that example and be like, oh, well, he must have just like had this magically had a relationship with Oliver or magically had a relationship with McConan or Drake and he must have just emailed them Stiz's song and they, you know, and like asked them to play it. Mm-hmm. But it was so organic and so natural. And and like I would say honestly 98% of like the highlights of my career or moments or like turning points all happened completely organically with with very little strategy aside from let's make amazing content, be good to people branch out, make relationships, genuine relationships, not right. not listen to my song relationships, and shit is just going to work out one way or another. And, you know, some people might look at that and be like, well, there's no urgency with that. And and to me, there is, because the urgency is always make great music, great content in the shortest window of time Keep you being can. the best version of you, Yeah, and good things will happen. Yeah, and then, and then the world is going to... You gonna, can't rush it. Yeah, the world is going to kind of like come around you when it's time, you know? And I think if Stiz had rushed his career and if I had encouraged that, a lot of amazing things that have happened to him would not have presented themselves mm. because we would have been trying to force music that wasn't really ready for mass ears too early. But instead, you know, we got a song out there that, that lucky enough, like really got him some recognition and a following. And, and then we waited, we had a whole tape that we scrapped um, because we were just like, you know what, this is not good enough. Let's let this one song continue to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when the time is right for people to hear music that they deserve to hear, we'll let it loose. Um, and I'm, I'm very lucky that Stiz trusted me with that. Cause I think, again, you and I talk about this all the time, but 
an artist um, manager relationship is like really important. And there's a lot of ways that it can't work. There's more ways that it can't work than, than there are that it can, hmm. you know, and I think you have to have full trust in one another, um, particularly an artist and a manager in that the vision should always be the artist. Like I've never forced any artists that I work with to make a certain type of music or mm -hmm. have a certain type of storyline or narrative or, or look a certain way. Never. It's always the artist's vision. But given that, you know, an artist needs to trust a manager with, you know, here's the time to press, you know, to press go. Or right. here's the song that might need a little tweaking here and there. It's, it's little decisions like that can, that can honestly shape an entire career. I totally. Think, you know, totally. picking out right photos, you know, doing the right uh, type of outreach, whatever it is. Um, and that's why I always say with Stiz, I'm, I'm very lucky because things could have gone a totally different way had at any point he been like, you know what, I'm getting a little gassed off of my success, so like I don't really need to listen to you anymore. It only takes one thing to go wrong mm -hmm. to fuck up a whole thing that you've built, a whole yeah, image, totally. a whole brand. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and, well, and, and great the, managers mm -hmm. essentially are a stopgap from, from that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? They're the last line of defense. Totally. Of totally. And the, I mean, that's the and artist that's what, getting and ahead that's what, of themselves. Yeah. And that's what you and I have learned too. And that's. That's the basis. Any artist I would ever work with, and, and I'm talking about not even just music, anyone I work with in any uh, field going forward, you know, I'm trying to branch out and do a whole bunch of stuff, but I would never work with anyone that I can't have an open one-on-one face-to-face -on -one -face conversation with mm -hmm. um, where I can tell you what you're doing is a terrible decision or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Like, right. you know, you and I have been able to have really great conversations where, you know, we might not see eye to eye at first, but we're still going to hear each other out and come to something that makes sense. And, exactly. And, and if an artist and a manager aren't on the same page when it's time to deliver, that relationship's as good as dead. Right, right. So when you work through all of this stuff that you do on a day-to-day -day now, we jumped ahead a little bit. Basically, we went from, you know, you, you, you got a little taste and started working with artists. Now you're at the point where, I mean, you manage a lot of artists. You're a pretty successful um manager in the music industry and a lot of people um look up to you and a lot of people you know um kind of see you as 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 that that dude right now um with with some of the artists that you're working with and a lot of what i like to talk about on this podcast is kind of like you know just the, the mentality type of of stuff that you have to go through whenever you're working in high pressure situations and i think you're someone who works in a really high pressure situation um so What's your process like for taking care of yourself mentally with how you handle your business? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because the music industry can be really stressful. Very stressful. You know what I mean? As we both know. Um, and I know from knowing you, you know, you, you, you explore different things with, with spirituality and, you know, stuff like that. I'm curious what that journey has been like for you over the last few years as you've gotten more and more busy with work you know, how does that affect you? And then how do you start to counteract those things? Yeah. Is that something you really think about? Totally. Or? Yeah, it is. I think 
I've learned that keeping my personal life really clean and making that the aspect of my life that I don't have to worry about has been really helpful for me. Hmm. Um, because working in music and doing what I do, there's so little that's predictable. And like with any artist or any situation, you can kind of lose it all in a second or you can win it all in a second. Like mm -hmm. it's just this constantly, you know, in flux, mm -hmm. uh, whatever career. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of shit that gets thrown at you and with, you know, at the last second and a lot of personalities to deal with. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I've learned with having grown in what I do is that, you know, three years ago, I dealt with you and, you know, maybe one or two people from Atlantic. I dealt with Christmas one-on-one. -on -one, I dealt with Stiz one-on-one -on -one, and I dealt with Ian one-on-one -on -one, and he was doing all their videos and working with me on a bunch of stuff. Um, but that was it. That was, that was my arsenal of people that I dealt with. And right. now, like day to day, I deal with between the three of you guys and some new artists I'm working with, I deal with no less than like, you know, 30, 35 people every week. Like, and any of those people could be calling me at any time of day. Like, you know, from agents to agents, assistants, to lawyers, to publishing company, everyone works for, works for them, to label everyone that works for them to brands that reach out, to ad firms, to, you know, marketing companies. There's mm -hmm. all these different to producers. I'm working with producers now. So there's so many different types of people. Well, that's the thing. Not even, it's not just people. It's different types of people with different agendas. Mm -hmm. And my job, essentially, is to keep everyone happy, focused, out of trouble, <laughs> you, know, fo you know, determined, like on track with their career and personal life. Like it's all these things that you know i'm worried about appeasing and even that's my inner circle that's more the artists producers and like the people that i really care about but but the people beyond that i still have to deliver everything whether it's just you know a set of photos or a rough track or a, you know a session or whatever it is i'm delivering so much or, or contracts which is the, the, the biggest headache of it all right to so many different people at all times that if my personal life gets off course or my health gets off course like I start to lose it because I can't, there's just so many other people and entities I have to deal with and have on my mind, like the front of my mind at all times that if I have to worry about how something is going in my personal life, it's just not going to work. So, so, so one of my best friends besides you is a buddy of mine named Juan Pedrosa, who's a chef in Boston. He just got nominated for a James Beard award for rising star chef. Hey, and shout out Juan. Uh, one of the things that he told me about cooking that reminded me from what you just said was um, if you're going to make a dish and you have uh, blackened Brussels sprouts on the dish, then you want to have some fresh raw tomatoes and raw lettuce in it too. You don't want everything to be charbroiled, blackened mm -hmm. in the dish. You yeah. have to have that yeah different you you the different the fresh, layers the freshness yeah for you know sure. what i'm saying so if one thing is going to be blackened mm -hmm. on the on the you know on the griddle yeah everything else needs to be fresh yeah you know it's that's a, that's a and great you, you can't have your whole life no you can't i mean that's the thing crazy like, three, like or four, that. three or four years ago even last two years ago i i loved the thrill of like being in different cities all the time and, and being on the road and like being with different people and around different personalities and like not necessarily knowing where I was going to sleep at night and not have not not taking on the responsibility of paying rent because I'd rather just like crash wherever like mm -hmm. it just you know I had priorities and the priority at that point obviously aside from work and goals was to just like 
be adventurous and have fun. But as the business grew and got more serious and I started to deal with more people, that's when it started to, you know, I, I made the transition of like, you know what, having a personal life that's a little bit more settled, having a house I can go back to, being in a stable relationship, you know, having my, uh, a little bit of rituals with, um, like you said, meditation, exercise, eating, these different things where I'm like, you know what, if I can develop that, then I think it's just going to allow me to be so much better in mm -hmm. business, you know, and some people can do both and that's awesome. But for me personally, you know, I've learned that keeping my, all my personal life ducks in a row is, is really important for me. It's really interesting because, uh, you know, I see it on the day to day, but it makes sense mm. based off of what you're saying with all the stuff you have to manage. I think what's so funny about creative worlds is, is that, um, other businesses, like people who work in, you know, finance or, you know, they, they, their accountants or whatever, people keep their personal lives kind of removed from the work that they do. You go into the office and you have your colleagues and you do your work and you have projects and, but you know, you're not managing personal lives, but creative industries, especially for managers who oh, manage yeah. creatives, a huge portion of what you're dealing with is like very personal things. Oh yeah. How many things have you and I worked on or talked about or discussed, had to have serious actual business conversations about that literally involve like romantic relationships I've been or, 100%. you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, personal things I'm going through or, 100%. you know, financial things. And so like, yeah, that's I mean, a whole yeah. part of the creative world, you know? That, I mean, that's, that's such a big part of, of what I see. My, I, I like, I say this in jest to people, but I always say like, I feel like I'm more of just like a motivational speaker and like, a, you know, a personal like counselor sometimes than I am like a businessman or a right. manager or like right. in that sense, because it's like, you know, as you know, being a creative, your personality and being in the right space to create and the right space to do the things you need to do, you know it, anybody that, you know, is in your shoes knows it, you have to be in the right mindset or the right live in the right area or be in the right frame of mind or whatever. So it's like, you know, I need to be that guy a lot of times to be like, you know what, if you need to talk to me about something, no matter what it is, I'm mm -hmm. there because it's going to help our business at the end of the day. Uh, all right. I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to see if there's another, I'm going to try a couple other places to try and get a reservation at. Uh, but are you down to go, are you down to go at nine? Alright, cool. Um, I'm just, I'm finishing up with Tim right now. We're probably going to be in another like 20 minutes and then I'm just going to get ready and, uh, and then I'll uh, probably just meet you at the restaurant. Alright, cool. Alright, I'll let you. What'd you say? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? No, I can't. Alright, well, I'll just let you know when I, um, if I figure out. I'll let you know if I figure out another restaurant. That's some eye-opening stuff, Tim. I always appreciate having conversations with you because you are that motivational speaker. For me, um, I don't think people realize because I think people see what I do and they just see the content that I put out. And in a lot of ways, the type of stuff that I do is very stream of conscious. I think of music and it comes out pretty quickly. But there is still that process where anything I do creatively goes through you, you know, and, um, myself, 
being someone who's very particular with with like my opinions about what I do creatively, it took a long time for me to build that trust with somebody. Yeah. And I don't think I could probably do that with a lot of other people. Right. You know, and I think that's why we've succeeded for so long in working together. A lot of people don't work together for that long right. in the music industry. Um, we've worked together for, you know, like five years. And I think it stems from me really having the respect for you, even when it's a situation where you say, this is not the right look or this needs to change. And I don't necessarily agree with her. I don't mm -hmm. see it. You have to, as a creative, trust that person that you've given the, the task of having that final say. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like sometimes they know better than you. Um, and so that goes for anything you're doing. If you're an entrepreneur, you're creative, you're a musician, you're painter i mean whatever you can't um go through your life and not take outside input you know yeah i always say there's like a sweet spot you know i think there's from what i've seen from people that have succeeded and failed i think there's um just the right amount of input I th i've seen a honestly i've seen a lot of people fail by taking too many people's 100 percent. you're right uh, we should talk about that there's a fine line because you need to have that drive that says I'm just going to create this and I don't care if people don't believe in it because then it's authentic yeah. and it's amazing. Right. And, right. and I do that with my music right. and you hone it in, but it's in a very, um, you know, light way. It's, 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 it's as simple as sometimes no. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not a big conversation about let's do X, Y, and Z and the blah, 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 blah. It's like, you don't have to overcomplicate things. Yeah. You just have to stay on track. Yeah. With, you know, what you're doing creatively and yeah. make sure you're putting out good content at the end of the day. That's what it boils well, down to. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's what I was saying about too many people's opinions. I've seen, you know, it, the thing is, like, if you ask five people how they feel about a song, it, very rarely are all five going to have the exact same opinion, you know, mm -hmm. especially if there's more people involved. I mean, I remember that my first kind of look into that was with you and the Atlantic situation about, you know, five years ago, four or five years ago where there'd be six or seven people on email chain and me, you and, and Steven or somebody else would be like, all right, we're going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And then the three or four other people would have either a collective or their own individual opinions. Right. And it's like, how do you leave a meeting with seven people and four opinions and decide which of those four you're going to go with? So that's why yeah. like as a creative for you or me being in a situation or whatever, at some point you need to decide, I think, who is the one, for the most part, opinion you're going to trust, whether that's your own and you're going to go in blindly and say, I, I don't, I'm not going to rely on a manager. I'm not going to rely on an a and mm -hmm. This is, I believe so much in my own taste and my own music. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a great rapport with your manager or whatever it is. But when you start to be like, you know, I'm going to take what this person thinks, this person thinks, this person thinks, this person thinks, you're going to end up making the messiest directionless least inspired song ever or project or whatever it's gonna 100%. be this like hodgepodge of what everyone thinks you should be as an artist right and that's so bad. right right nah i mean everybody can tell you how to do it they never did it right <laughs> I, I we i run into that every day still at a high level i'm talking yeah. about you know you've done it too but people at you know major labels that have gotten a job and, and they've earned it in their own right but you know uh you don't you haven't necessarily have had the same path as the artist might have or the manager might have had or whatever. Yeah, it's everybody like everybody goes through that and I think there's, you know, there's a decision you make at some point. You're either a follower 
and then you become one of those people who sits in that room one day and you're saying, oh, I have this opinion, or you're a leader. And against the odds, sometimes you have to do things that people are saying, that's not right. But then when you do it and you succeed on it, you execute on your plan and it goes well, all those people who said that's not the right thing to do, they come around and they, hey, what's up, man? Like, that <laughs> shit was awesome. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, so like, yeah. you know, sometimes you just have to make that decision, like, just go for it. Yeah. You know, take the risk. Right. Calculated risks. Totally. It's all about calculated risks. I think we've talked about, we've referenced the situation with Atlantic and my situation and how we started working together. I think I want to talk about basically the timeline of that because it's interesting. Yeah. And there's some, some good things to learn from that. So when I was 18, I just finished high school. I signed my first record deal. I signed it with Atlantic Records. I moved out to Los Angeles that year. I started making music. This is 2011? This is 2011. And I signed on Halloween Day of 2011 with Atlantic. And I'm out there in LA. I started working on the Lamp City album, which was my first album I put out under a major label. And then I came back to Boston to finish that album because I just didn't like the vibe creatively in LA at the time. I was, I was not 21 yet. I couldn't <laughs> go out. Like it, I didn't know a lot of people. Um, so I came back to Boston where I knew people and I, I liked to work and I finished the album and I made a, a music video for a promo single before the album came out called Cut Me Off, which was off like a mixtape that we put out before the album came off. And uh, there was just a little press thing that we did for this blog called The Fresh Air. <laughs> and I did this little video with this guy named Tim LaRue from The Fresh Air, and that's how we met. Yeah, funny. At the end of the day, at that video shoot, we did a little interview, which is still on YouTube. At the sneaker store I worked at. Yeah. And so at the time, I mean, like you were saying, like you had this blog, you were interviewing artists, you were kind of just starting to get in on the scene, you were super passionate, and I kind of saw that passion. And I, at the time, was really doing stuff by myself because... I, like you, came from a small town where, um, you know, everybody that I knew was kind of doing their own thing. They were going to college and they were trying to, like, you know, live the more, like, corporate life. And, like, that was their, like, game plan. And so I didn't have, like, a group of friends close to me who were, like, really passionate about creative stuff either. So I was kind of going, going by myself. Like, I didn't work with a lot of people besides, like, Maddie Trump and a couple other people who were, like, older than me. But I didn't have, like, a crew of people that I really worked with. And I saw... Um, you know, in you and in and your friends in your group in Boston, like a real passion for creativity and working. And I was like, damn, like I want to plug in with these kids. And so I think somewhere along the lines, like we obviously met through that interview and then we started kind of hanging out and working together from there. And it was just absolutely fucking, and when I, when I say absolutely fucking insane, I mean absolutely fucking insane because I was in a shitty situation with the label that i kind of brought you into but yeah. you had no experience with working with a label i had no experience with working with a label we were just you know like on the edge of our seats trying to figure it out every single day trusting yeah. our instincts trying to just right. maneuver through this system with you know we had some really amazing people definitely at the label and then there were some people who were you know good people but didn't necessarily see eye to eye with the vision we were trying to do too and so it just was and then we there was some, a lot then, of then we had some idiots and then we had some idiots 
there's always a little bit, you sprinkle in a little bit of idiots yeah. anytime you work with with labels but we just kind of tried to figure it, it out it was a fun time and basically i think i you know brought you on to handle marketing yeah um and it was like a situation where the label told me oh we're gonna give a budget for marketing and, and i was like i got this group of people who are gonna do they're gonna like put together videos and a whole marketing yeah, strategy, strategy we're yeah. this whole team of people and i thought that you would be great for something like that and basically what ended up happening was you did all this work we did all this work together and then the label never cut the check right and how you know i'm sitting there right looking at this this guy who i really want to work with who's a really great dude and who has really helped me now in this situation and i'm hearing from my managers at the time and my people at the label, no, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay for that. Right. And then I have to relay that news. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think the thing is, like, you know, they having perspective now, they just wanted immediate results. They wanted to see your numbers boom, and they thought if you brought on somebody that you said was gonna be good at marketing, that they would see your next video skyrocket in views. And I remember being on an email and and some of the people from the label being like, "What happened? Like, this video didn't blow up." and me in my head, I was very inexperienced, but I was—I don't think I responded. But I was just like, that it wasn't going to blow up. Like that's—that's that's <laughs> right. a timing thing. That's like a right. song thing. That's—that's that's right. not, you know. Like we came in to be—it was the long game. Like that was how you kind of pitched it to me. Well, that's and it made what so I much wanted. Sense. That's it was what I wanted. It was—it was what you were lacking. You—you you had your own, you know, like output. You had your own music. You had everything creatively that you were doing. You had. The label, which essentially would eventually be the system that would you could really take advantage of, but you didn't have that middle, which is like a team that would just be with you day to day, just mm-hmm. helping you out and getting your shit out and you know whatever, creating, helping you create content. Um, but that that's more of a long term thing. That's not some like online fucking bullshit gimmick where you're like you know paying five hundred bucks a month to to buy followers or buy mm-hmm. views like that. No, this is a real thing that you were trying to have a long term team. Right. Right. Yeah, and that was the conflict with me with with the label was is that like I was really looking to um, build a brand which I've now done, and I and I left the label situation to be able to do that more effectively years ago. But my goal from day one, since I was eighteen years old, since I signed the deal, was to do what I'm doing now, which is build the Cam Meekins brand in a lot of different ways, so that I could one day do a podcast. You know what yeah. I'm saying, or do other things, and continue to put out music, and continue to be um, and, the, and the thing somebody is, who has that type of influence. Us having the perspective now, and you knew it back then, is like that's something that a label has no vested interest in. They don't, oh, 100. They don't, they don't so care about the, that. The interests were not aligned, right? And that's what a manager or a team is all about. It's like no matter what happens in an artist's career, a manager finds a way to help you make money, be creative, mm-hmm. get your content out there. That's what a team is, and that's right. what you knew right. you were missing because you knew that the label would be great if you ever had a hit, hit record, and you know, they could take it radio and maximize it, sales and streams and all that. That would be amazing, but right. like, if, if you don't have a hit record or a huge album, they don't give a fuck about anything else that's going on in your personal life, oh, yeah. career, nothing. And I'm in a, a very similar boat with Stiz now, which is like, there's a couple individuals at mm-hmm. RCA that care about him, but beyond that, the label does not care about anything except return on their investment and if he's delivering a song that's going to chart and make a fuck ton of money otherwise you know shows they don't care you know his personal life they don't care right you know branding money they don't care acting whatever it is he gets into they don't care but back to our situation that was that was what happened there exactly you, you knew that and the world is changing so much to be a creative to be an artist 
you yeah. know, whether you're a hip hop artist or whatever type of artist you are, you have to do just so aw- much. Well, to well, like and, be, and just an artist that's aware because yeah. even even to reach the pinnacle of rap, like you might have a career for 10, 15 years if you're like the the best. Like if mm-hmm. you're Kanye, Drake, Jay-Z, J. Cole, people like that, you might have a 10 to 15 year career where you can tour, you can sell music. But, you know, if you're anything less than that, your entire rap music career is going to come and go by the time you're 30, 32, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're not thinking actively as an artist, well, what are going to be my revenue streams or what's my brand going to look like once no one really wants to go to my shows and buy my music anymore, or once my career peaks, then you're already in trouble. And that's the thing that the label would never care about. They care about getting a return on their short-term investment. And a lot of artists, sadly, don't do well financially later in life because of that. And I mean, you know, the same thing happens with like basketball players too, you know, or football players or yeah. whatever. And that's why the successful ones are the ones to get great media training and are able to be post-game analysts, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like they have a yeah. whole career in that. Like a Chris Webber is going to have a career for the rest of his life, you right. know? And there's a lot of NBA players, and, and granted he was a great player, but there's a lot of even like decent players that are, you know, end up with a coaching job or end up with an analyst job or whatever because they had the vision or maybe they had someone on their team to be mm-hmm. like, you know what, like, this is going to be the long money. You're going to get these millions the next few years, just like right. a lot of artists do. You're going to get these millions. You're right. going to get these hundreds of thousands, whatever it is. But like, that's going to run out <laughs> because there's taxes and there's responsibilities. And one day you're going to have a family and there's all these things. So if you don't leave a label situation with your brand intact and still moving forward by way of like you and your team and your manager, then like, you know, you're going to be hung out to dry. My goal has been and always will be. It's really what I'm doing right now is to be a creative in a lot of different ways and make revenue streams from it and yeah. be an entrepreneur and, you, and be and somebody with influence who people hear. And then the things that I do, whether it's music or a podcast or anything else, it resonates with people and they say, yes, I fuck with that and I want to be involved. And then I want to engage in my life in a similar way. Like I just want to impact people like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, I didn't need a record label to do that. Right. You know, and you understood that as my friend, as my manager, and it took some time to build the brand, but I'm way more successful now than I ever was with the label. Um, and having a record deal on paper is some of the, the top goals that people can set as a musician. And sometimes it's the right thing and sometimes it isn't. And that's just yeah. what it boils down to. And so... A lesson from that is is that just because the perception of something is so great, that doesn't mean you can skip out on the process of really thinking about, is this the right thing for me? What are my goals here? What am I going to get out of this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I had that conversation with the guy who was running the label when I left. And I still have a great relationship with him because of that, because of that honesty of saying like, look, like, I want to do X, Y, and Z in my career. And the way that I've been going through it with the label doesn't really match with, with those goals. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in your life, you can do a lot of things and then step back and say, well, wait, that didn't actually make sense with what <laughs> I'm trying to do here. So it's a good lesson. And you make yeah. those mistakes. You, you go through those things. And you definitely don't regret it because 
so many positive things that come from me oh, man. having the, the deal. 100%. It's not a situation where I'm like, man, I wish I never did that deal. I'm so I mean, glad I, that I, did. I said for years after that to this day, you know, if, if I hadn't had that experience with you, I think I would have gone into any other management situation blind. And, and I think I would have been uh, hoping nothing else other than to get signed and thinking that, you know, you get some money up front and some budgets and you're good. But having experienced that with you, I learned that you had all of that and you were still kind of left hung out to dry. And mm -hmm. it was because you didn't have a solid infrastructure and team. So me moving forward, I was like, you know what? No matter how successful or unsuccessful an artist that I work with is going to be, they're going to have a great team that will always be their fuel no matter what. Mm -hmm. Because I know no matter what happens with you or Stiz or Christmas or anybody else going forward, you know, if Stiz was to leave his deal tomorrow, I'm 100% confident that he would still be good. Mm -hmm. with with me and with anybody else that's involved with him right. because you know i know how to i don't know just help an artist stay on track no absolutely yeah. and you are good at having conversations stay on track i want to say thank you to tim yeah. larue i think we should wrap it up <laughs> wow it's been an hour and a half uh more to so come. much more to oh, talk man. about we could talk for hours that was that was like a light overview of it was the last an overview years, it was it, that could have been we could have done like six months in that time we, <laughs> we did like five years pretty much we did six years there's so much between the two of us that we can talk about tim is going to be a very frequent guest um thank you very much honored, man for coming by honored to be here yeah and and the lesson i think to take from all this from from me personally if there is one from this it's like just be creative, be a good person. And, you know, just because you can't see what door you're walking into or, or see a light at the end of a tunnel or, or even understand, you know, where something you're doing is headed, don't stop doing it and, and get in your own head and start to think more. You know, I think we've all gotten caught in ruts like that. I definitely have. I know you have from what mm -hmm. you've told me, but when I've been happiest or when I look back and I'm like, well, that, that, and that led to this point of success for me, the the that that and that that I'm referring to are things that at the time felt like very directionless and or meaningless or you know just like efforts that were going nowhere and taking me nowhere and then I look back and I'm like wow it actually makes for an amazing story and it made for like a lot of success and I think a lot of people might look at mine or yours or anybody's success as like oh, well, it was simple. They did this, this, and this, and then they got there. Or like, he knew this, this, and this person. That's the classic right. thing. People like to look at me and it's like, oh, he just, he just has good relationships. And it's like, well, no. There was a lot of downs mm -hmm. and a lot of confusion and a lot of like moments that I did not understand. And, and I'm not even saying I'm successful right now because I'm going to look back on, on today, a year, two years, three years from now and be like, damn, I, I was like a confused young kid when I was talking on that podcast. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. Right. But my point is we're t fucking talking on a podcast. Like that's the whole point. You, is like You stepped up and you did it. I mean, a guy who is truly in love with the journey. Oh, wow. Yes, Tim LaRue. That's what it boils down to. Thank you very much. Follow Tim on Twitter at Tim LaRue. Follow me on Twitter at Cam Meekins. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. Have a good one. Here's what we think was produced by myself, Cam Meekins, SJ Petarudi, with help from Tim LaRue and the whole Lamb City team. Make sure to shoot us an email with your thoughts, questions, or hit us up on social media. Lamp City underscore at Cam Meekins. <laughs>